This is the Cover 2 Podcast with Don Banks and Nick Stevens. Brady on the deep drop, stands in, fires down the middle for Gronkowski, makes the grab at the 45, spinning away from defenders. He's gone to the 20, to the 10, to the 5, to the end zone. The Cover 2 Podcast on Patriots.com. The play fake and the throw to the end zone for Antonio Brown. Touchdown, Pittsburgh. Nobody covers the NFL like the guys from Cover 2. Eight different receivers have caught a pass from Matt Ryan today. He's looking to throw again. Wide open, Julio Jones has it. And in the end zone, touchdown, Falcons. Now, Don Banks and Nick Stevens. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Cover 2 Podcast with Banks and Stevens. I'm Don Banks, one of your co-hosts, joined by Nick Stevens, my co-host. Nick, we could do an hour and a half today. We have Boku topics to talk about on the Cover 2 Podcast. We have the Sox in the series. We have a fascinating NFL trade. We have the possibility of another fascinating NFL trade if the Arizona Cardinals will cooperate with Patrick Peterson. We have a really intriguing and meaty week seven review and a week eight preview and we have a great guest our guest today in a little bit is going to be rich eisen you know him nfl network anchor since 2003 host of the rich eisen show on radio and in a timely get as they say in our business rich Beat L.A. Beat L.A. <laughs> all right, all right. Beat we'll get L.A. First, you should know that Rich is going to be on the play-by-play call this week in London for Eagles-Jaguars for NFL Network, along with Kurt Warner, Steve Mariucci, Michael Irvin, a four-man box. That's going to be interesting. A booth, I should say. Yes. Four-man booth. Brilliant. And then Peter Schrager and Melissa Stark are going to be on the sidelines. But that's a great game. I'm calling it the Underachievement Bowl because they're both three and four and struggling. Uh, we're going to talk to Rich all about Jags, Eagles in a little bit. Here's from a fan's perspective, from a Pats fan perspective, I'm the most excited about that game, not just because I'm a Rich Eisen fan and I think the NFL Network does great coverage, but also Pats are playing Monday night. Oh, that's going to be a real tough one, too. Derek Anderson in Buffalo. At wow. Buffalo. I know, boy. Uh, you see, Todd Gurley has more points yeah. than the Bills. Yeah, I'm going to write. I don't want to get distracted. I'm going to write about yeah. that. Oh, but you can't spell Buffalo Bills without lol. Anyway. The whole thing, the whole to me, the thing is like, oh, this is great. So I can wake up early, and just after the family does breakfast and everything, I can watch a great, uh, probably one of the games of the week. Yep, enjoy it. It's done by one. Then all the other beleaguered dads who make their the the moms and wives feel like war brides watching football. You can have the whole day with the family, and then you don't have to tune back in until Monday night. It's perfect. Perfect how that worked. I don't out. know. I don't know if I could sit out seven hours of. NFL football. I would, I would at least monitor the other games. But you're right. I mean, it could be the game of the day. Both desperate teams. Both went to the Final Four last year. And both have lost their mojo. I mean, like Austin Powers in, in, in one or two or whatever one he lost his mojo. They're both identityless right now because the Jaguars' identity is clearly based around two things. Ground and pound and then a suffocating defense. Now, the defense is falling apart. They're arguing on the sideline. And they're, in the they're, locker they're room. They're blowing assignments. They're arguing in the locker room. Coaches losing control. And they've got no running game. And their, and their wide receiving core, which took a hit in the preseason with Marquise Lee going down and Allen Robinson leaving for Chicago, looks like a third-ranked wide receiver. It looks like the Patriots' wide receiving core in late August. Right. And, and the Eagles, they also don't have – they've lost their running game, too. They've lost their running game. And their old line looks like crap. And 
again, we're, we're sort of like all glossing over the fact that they won because Belichick trotted out, you know, uh, a, a defense that in a lot of ways, a lot of ki- you know, like a seven-year-old playing Madden for the first time would have <laughs> would have assembled. The Eagles scored their way to a Super Bowl victory, and if they can't score 40 points right now, if they can't put up 30-plus, but the defense is actually... Like they, they were they up seventeen nothing on Carolina at in the home? fourth quarter. Wow, they I mean, lost a seventeen point lead in the fourth quarter. Ooh. Carson Wentz played his butt off, by the way. Yeah, um, had a great game. I don't I, think he's the. I don't think he's he the was issue. Thirty of thirty seven for three hundred and some two touchdowns. No, he's not the issue, but he's getting hit. And um, yeah, they that was a wake up call loss at home yeah. to a Carolina team that looked like it was dead in the water for three quarters. Um, so anyway, that's going to be a fascinating. Mm-hmm. Way to wake up Sunday morning and uh, get into your NFL Week 8 almost immediately. Um, this just in, though. Our Red Sox are in the series. Uh, you don't say. I will have to say, we're not going to review the Houston series. This feels like forever ago. But that Game 3 and Game 4 were were wild rides. I mean, the first game wasn't decided until JBJ really... Jack the Grand Slam in the eighth inning, mm-hmm. and then madness from start to finish. Kimbrel ta- Kimbrel takes a Kimbrel takes a year off your life with every save. Absolutely. To, I mean, to Kim, what do you say? To Kimbrel is to take something that should be easy and make it Kimbrel, excruciatingly yes. difficult. To Kimbrel is yes. to complicate. To to excessively complicate. Yes. But let me say, the Benintendi catch I think goes down as and given a little to hyperbole in sports, sure, but I don't think it's too much of a hot take to say. That's probably the best catch in Red Sox postseason history. That's one of the best playoff catches ever. Yes, and one of the I would say top five Red Sox postseason plays because you make that catch, you make that catch, you win that game, you take control of that series. You're veritably punching a ticket to the World Series unless you collapse like the like the Indians against the Cubs in 2016. You don't make that catch, you lose. You seed control the series. There's a good chance Houston is right now preparing for game one against the Dodgers. Massive swing. What stones on Benintendi. But we were all wrong again. Did we all not pick Houston to win the series yet again? I say say we keep it up. Let's just pick the Dodgers. No, I'm not. not. And how about also, let's get props and hip-hops to David Price for finally having Absolutely. his John Lackey in 2013 start. I loved it. For coming around. He, that was the best he's pitched on three days rest. I mean, I know people asked him post-game, Hey, uh, David, so is the, uh, is the idea now basically to warm you up for a couple hours the night before and pitch you on three days Past rest? Past midnight. And, yeah. And I don't, he didn't really laugh along so much just because I think he's playing his media bites carefully now. But he's being he's amenable to friendly, which is yes. good. He's, he's formidable, if we will. He's turned a corner. Which in is, terms of snark. As have we, as yes. well, towards him yes. as well. But I'll tell you, my my sneaky MVP, I know Jackie Bradley got it. The sneaky MVP of that series is Evaldi. Oh, absolutely. And their playoff MVP yeah. because whenever he gassed Bregman with a 102-mile-per-hour fastball, knowing that Bregman had posted Instagram stories about hitting bombs off of him, yeah. and then you cut to David Price saying, yeah, post that. Thank you post very that. much. Oh. Yeah. It was a, it was a little um, hubris-like of Bregman and the Astros. They started feeling it a little bit, like they were destined to go back and win again. And I have to admit, I thought they were. Um, yeah, you're right. It was a really nice moment for Price. We finally found out. I mean, the bar of expectation was so low, right? I mean, he was going against Verlander. He was on short rest. He was on the road. He was just supposed to go out there and give him three or four 
And I think we found the perfect spot for his particular psyche. If you can find a, a no-pressure uh, situation, that's the one he handled. And maybe now, going forward, the, the spell has been broken. And David Price's career thus far, pretty fascinating in that in 2008, he comes in and knocks the Red Sox out of the World Series with an ace relief effort. And then in 2018, 10 years later, here he is. Almost to the with day. The, with the postseason start of his life. Almost to the day. And if you watch the video they keep showing of that 2008 Price coming in to get the last four outs. And here he is, having the time of his life. About time. Sergio Dip. If you watch the video... I have I've seen it now three times. Alex Cora is the runner on third. Oh, you're kidding! He is the runner on third for the Red Sox in Game Seven. It, we the Sox were down three one, but the bases were loaded and JD Drew, Drew struck out. Uh, I believe to end the eighth. But it was so funny to see the juxtaposition of Cora and Price in the same frame, almost ten years to the day uh, earlier than now. That's pretty badass. Oh, pretty cool. Yeah. All right. We've got a huge NFL trade to dive into right away, um, even before everything else that went on in Week 7. The Cowboys never learning their lesson from, what, Roy Williams and who was the other receiver they traded for? It wasn't Calvin Johnson, but they've they've made a couple. Oh, uh, Joey Galloway. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> they've made a couple awful receiver trades, never learning that lesson. They gave up a first-round pick in 2019 for Amari Cooper. Uh, the Raiders receiver that is uh, talk about lost your mojo um, looked all world in 2016 and has really struggled in the last year and a half. I don't know if that's because Oakland has been a bad team and has has had a crappy offense, or if that's Amari Cooper losing the edge on his game. But they better be getting the Amari Cooper of 2016 for that price tag. That's a hefty price to pay. Now, listen, I know the Raiders now officially have the entire first round at their disposal next year. And I am so excited. Three first round picks and then two in 2020. For the spirit of Al Davis, which means they could probably spend those if they wanted to build an entirely new team next year and have four first round draft picks. Then they can probably do that. So they got a... Maybe maybe Gruden, with his gut rebuild, maybe this is going to work out so that the Vegas Raiders, if they even ever make it there, because as of right now, they're homeless next year. Sidebar, I think it would be fun if they just go play someplace totally random next year. Just go play in San Antonio. Go play in, go play in Kansas. Go play in be the Nebraska Raiders for a year. Maybe they'll be in San Diego next year because they may not be in Oakland and Vegas isn't ready for them. Yeah, no, that's right. They, they really don't know where they're going to be next but, year. But the Cowboys, you knew... Barnstorm. Yeah. Different town every week. Why not? Just go on tour. It'd be fun. Give everyone a chance. But the Cowboys, you knew you were receiver needy. You couldn't go into the season with Beasley and Gallup. And, it, was, it was receiver by committee. Yeah, and it didn't then, work. And, a bunch, and like tight end by committee. I mean, it, it was a mess. But to then basically hold yourself at gunpoint, I'm, I'm sure, well, I'm sure the Raiders weren't like, it's a first or nothing. Listen, they had the Eagles offering a second. They had to beat the Eagles to keep them out of their own division that they're hoping to climb over. They're both right. three and four at the moment, Dallas and Philly. They had real competition for yeah. this trade, and that drove the price tag. But I'm I'm sorry. You're not... You're not giving up a first for nine games. Um, there's adequate talent out there that you probably could get, or comparable talent that you could probably get. It's a good draft. Maybe for thir up. a third or a fourth now to help you out. Yeah. And then with all the draft, with this draft coming up that's loaded, I just it was a classic Dallas terrible overpayment. Move. Yeah, terrible. And um, look, this is about Dak Prescott for me. They mm -hmm. have to get him weapons. They understand. 
that he really doesn't have enough now. They finally re- recognized it. They can't just rely on Zeke Elliott. Washington took Zeke Elliott completely away Sunday in that 20-17 to 17 loss, last-second loss. Um, and what a finish to that. Boy, there are a couple of finishes with kickers on Sunday yeah. that were that are rather memorable. Yeah, talk about snap judgments. That long snapper uh, who got called for the pre-snap penalty um, Which was as lame bogus. as pre-snap penalties. He did the. That's he does the exact same thing in every. When play. Tony Dungy goes off on you on Sunday Night Football, as he did the referees yep. for that call, uh, you know you've kind of crossed some sort of threshold. That was that was totally uh, deciding the fate Weak. of that game, and um, I think it would have gone into overtime. Take Jason Garrett's play calling, conservative wise, mm-hmm. in the final drive out of the equation for a minute. He makes that kick if it's forty-seven instead of fifty-two. Yeah, it hit, it hit the upright. It just kissed the left side of the left upright, five yards back. It snakes in, and then they're playing for overtime. Two things I think uh, that I really kind of kind of want to discuss. It a the the kicker finishes that, and Justin Tucker finally deciding. You know what? Two twenty-one. That was two hundred twenty-two extra points in a row. All of my professional extra points. I got to miss some time, right? Yeah. What and after the great comeback by Flacco hitting Brown with less than a minute left at home against the Saints, I pick a hell of a time to shank one, Justin. Yeah, but I mean, one, the guy is perfect. He's an android, and two, it was windy. I mean, I almost say to that guy, "There's not a person in the league that should look at Justin Tucker and say you failed." That guy has been absolute money. Every time he puts his foot to the ball, I don't need to hear Mia culpa. I don't mm-hmm. even need him to come to the podium and, and open a vein and bleed for us. I think right. you tip your hat and say you have been uh, inhuman uh, for so long. Mm-hmm. You know, he never missed a preseason or a college extra point. He had over 330 cons- consecutive successful points. Oh, he's clearly the best kicker in the league. If we, if we, were, take, if we were starting ground up right now, I wouldn't even draft a college kicker. I would I'd take Justin Tucker for the next 10 His years. His kicks usually go through the narrow uprights of the Arena Football League. I mean, yeah. it's that he's that money down the middle. So, I, I, I ain't blaming or hating. I'm just saying. It's an amazing story. It's I a get bummer. It. Picked a hell of a time. To, yes. Yeah. Uh, so that made a, another interesting Sunday. I don't think this was the craziest Sunday of the 2018 no, season. That was week three. But it had a lot of meat on the bone. It, it definitely did. And so now... The missed kicks and the problems at the end with Dallas and then with Baltimore lead into or, or serve as perfect segue into the whole, I think, the big talking point of Week 7, going for two. Yeah. How do you, where do you stand on this? Well, I thought Vrabel, uh, I thought he was foolhardy. I thought his team played so well in the second half. They had over 300 yards of offense. They were totally dominating the Los Angeles Chargers in London mm-hmm. and had the Chargers on their heels. I don't have... As big a pro- I have more of a problem with the play call, the actual play call that they used. First of all, there was a penalty, remember? They yep. ran a two-pointer. There was defensive pass interference or holding in the end zone. So they're at the one so they so go they're from at two the and a half. They're yard- at the one and a quarter. Yeah, they're, they're basically at the one-yard line. I'm either—I I was shocked that they didn't call a play that let Marcus Mariota basically— get creative and win the game with his legs not his arm because that that dude has a nose for the end zone he'll he'll sell out um mm-hmm. or get Deion Lewis wide somehow some way he was having a great game yeah he was i run the ball from the one i don't throw the ball so i had a problem with the play call more than i had how about hammer derrick henry 
Yeah. I mean, what do you ha- what do you have? That's another option. What do you have the Alabama steamroller for? Unless you're just going to run the Henry train right straight up, and and also San Diego's gassed at that point because they were up big, and now te- Tennessee just kept them on their heels the whole second half. That's when you're supposed to something quick at the line, put yeah. the playmaker in space, running. And they're, they're, the the one weakness they have on offense is the wide receiving core. Right? So why you run this? Waggle slant routine. Don't you feel like Mike Vrabel, this was, he was a victim of his own success. They had three fourth downs in that win at Philly that they converted, and mm-hmm. it gave him almost an unhealthy confidence that his team is going to pick up a, 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 you know, whatever they need in that situation. Obviously, this being a two-point conversion, not fourth down, but same situation. Right. One play, do or die. I think this is one of those lessons now in his first seven games in the league, he's going to file away. I don't think he does this, even though I'm sure he won respect and support in his own locker room. That's what players do. I think it was a foolhardy decision to go for it. I take it into overtime. I feel like I know, and this is sort of where this will dovetail off into, but I know the numbers say from the Doug Peterson stuff to what Pat Shermer did on Monday night, the numbers say go for it. Statistically, you have a better chance of that versus trying to tie it and win it in overtime. I I, I got to know the feel of the game. I think that's foolhardy to just live and die, to let Watson call your plays, if you will, to let an algorithm decide what you should do versus the gut. That's why we have coaches and not machines or computers running the plays on the sideline. I, I feel like it was a bad call for Vrabel, and I think there was a little too much, you yeah. know, a little too much like, you know what, no. Bravado. This is the tone and tenure we're going to set. This is the tone and tenure we're going to set here for this team. We're going to be. We're going to win. We're going to be tough. We dictate the tempo. We're the one that knocks. Mike, they're gassed. Like San Diego, unless Philip Rivers can Los lead Los Angeles. Him. Yeah. Jeez, look at that. Still, that's how little. Okay, Carson, the soccer pitch Chargers. Carson Chargers. Yeah, exactly. No, I agree with you. I think he kind of got caught up in. We're going to be, you know, the windshield, not the mm-hmm. bug, and. Yeah, there's a time and place for for you. You better have the information of what the odds say, but you also have to have a, a gut feel for the game and and never. Someone said it. I think last night during Monday Night Football, Red Arback said, you know, never never lose the feel for the game. You, right. That's why you're there as a coach to kind of understand where the players are um, psychologically on the other side. You know, they. I don't think the Chargers were unhappy at all. One play to win. Um, uh, or lose, right? As opposed to overtime, I think they were thrilled that the Titans went for it. The, the Los Angeles Chargers, they're fine. There you go. Yeah, they're so not LA. The Chargers basically chargered their way towards that loss. They yes. did everything they could, minus miss a kick in the last minute, to to hang that L on themselves. And the Titans gave it to them. They let them off the hook. Yeah, I agree. I think. Um, I I think Vrabel. If you put him on truth serum, he's not making that call again anytime soon or if no. he is he's running the ball because that would have given him i think their best shot i would have put mariota wide and and hope he could find the pylon but um there was a, there was a lot going on in week seven um you know we're going to touch upon this with rich eisen the the whole jacksonville philly dynamic i mean from what i'm hearing the bortles marone relationship after this benching there may not be a way back i'm not saying that he's not you know he's going to start him again i'm just saying there might be a fracture there that they can't overcome and that could have ramifications going forward i don't know who wins the power struggle marone probably still has more juice than his quarterback at this point but 
I don't think Jacksonville's putting the genie back in the bottle this season. I really don't. But now, so why why sign him to all that money? Now you you see the way he can play in week two, and it's interesting. Both the Eagles and the Jags each has huge games against the Patriots. They play their actual Super Bowl and then their week two Super Bowl, right? And then these crippling letdowns where they're just, I mean, I know the Eagles have won a couple of games, but they've sagged a little bit. And Jacksonville has most definitely been Sagsonville since they beat the Patriots week two. You know what you had in Blake Bortles. He plays his best games oddly against the Patriots, but he doesn't deliver what he did in those games consistently. And you can't at this point now, five years into his career, you can't just be betting on potential or on hope. You have to be spending on consistency. Well, I mean, you remember he played really well in the second half of the season. Then he went on this run in the playoffs, and, mm-hmm. and you know it wouldn't be the first team to say we better get him now at a better dollar figure for right. us because if this con- if trends continue, he's going to be even more expensive. Do so they feel like they had they somehow magically finally unlocked his potential, well, or like they had unlocked Bortles? It did look like it. Yeah. I mean, let's be honest. Coming out of week two, what were we talking about? This right. this team they arrived. This team has arrived, and this team looked elite defensively, and they looked like Bortles was going to play winning football for them. It, it's how quickly things can, in a month, things can completely flip on you in the NFL. Yeah. I mean, there is a mess now in Jacksonville. I don't think it's a mess in Philly. I think it's still early enough in the season. But, boy, I didn't like Doug Peterson coming out and say the pressure's off now. I mean, the pressure's never off in Philly, and the pressure's never off when you're a Super Bowl defending champion. No, so what do you think that means? They're going to finally be able to go back to playing in that free, loving, yeah, that's what underdog, rah rah Philly style. That's what he was going for. Like, you know what? We've been we've been gnashing our teeth, kind of live up to expectations. Now at three and four, people will forget about us again, and we can kind of play free and easy. I don't think it works that way either. No, and and the, who is the clear cut favorite of the NFC East? It's fun, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I mean it's a it's a, a free for all. Washington's four and two. That's unbelievable. It that is unbelievable. Is, that is the that is the weakest four and two I think I've ever seen in my life. It was this great stat last week. You know that they had alternated wins and losses, but if you uh, this season, but if you go back, they were like they were they were six and six. They were ten and ten. They were eighteen and eighteen. It went went way back that they literally were a five hundred club. So now they're four and two. They finally won two in a row. Let's see if Jay Gruden's club you know catches a little magic in a bottle because that is a division that's crying to be claimed by someone. Uh, it, it it and I don't know if anyone's going to lay claim to it. I can't I can't see who's laid claim aside from the Rams to. Any of the divisions in the NFC. Here we were. Remember how how loud we were all banging the NFC is clearly yeah. the better conference drum. I don't know. Well, I'll, I'll give you this. To, to me, the team that's kind of in the weeds and not everyone's focused on is New Orleans. They've won five in a row. They're down 17-7 to seven in Baltimore in the fourth quarter. Baltimore hadn't given up a second-half touchdown all season defensively mm-hmm. the Saints scored two fourth quarter touchdowns and get out of there with the win that was a huge statement to me that New Orleans five in a row now five and one they look to me the only team that can stay on the field at the moment with the LA Rams you know what Drew Brees looks really good yeah Drew Brees who also just hit his 500th touchdown sorry Drew we couldn't afford the time and the we didn't have it in the budget to have another on-field Please celebration. Please don't start for the game. For, that was over the top. <laughs> they did everything but have a, a float out there yeah. that he uh, rode on. Uh, 
Yeah, they do look good. They've got the great complement with the two-headed back system. Yeah, they've somehow found a way. They're almost like this. They're almost like the Steelers of the NFC in that they find a way to just draft and develop wide receivers. Yeah, I think it's their best team since the '09 Super Bowl. Team. Yeah, I, I, I do. Now, now I'm starting to think. We're, I know we're not at our midseason awards, or do you want to get a Mulligan edition of Cover Two? But I'm starting to think that Saints Rams. Saints, you know, that's your NFC title game I, so far, right now. Yeah. Hey, guess where the Saints play this week? But I do like Minnesota too. They play it. The Saints go back. I know to Minnesota this week. That's great. Yeah, I, I think, and they have a concise victory. I, I, I think I, they go back and they finish what they started. It doesn't have the same impact, but yeah, it's it's a good week coming up as well. Uh, but as as we turn to Week Eight, I think we we have to be talking Jaguars Eagles, which is really a, just an intriguing game. And to do that, we are going to turn to our podcast guest. Joined, as promised, by Rich Eisen, NFL Network anchor since 2003, host of the Rich Eisen Show on radio. I believe you can hear it in Boston on WUFC, 1510 AM. Uh, Rich, good morning. Good morning to you guys. It is a huge week in the NFL. It's a big week here in Boston as well. We will be. Uh, I know you're a Michigan man. Are you a Dodger fan? Have you acclimated no, to the no, local no, no. nine? I'm, I'm. I'm from New York City. As a matter of fact, um, there's really only two teams that affect my mood <laughs> anymore. Um, as as I've um, adopted the no cheering in the press box mantra for so many years, um, there's really only two teams that affect my mood anymore, and that's uh, Michigan sports, so Michigan football, basketball, any of that, and the Yankees. I'm from uh, born in Brooklyn, raised in Staten Island, fell in love with the sport when Chris Chambliss did a home run to put uh, the Yankees into the World Series in 76. Remember it well. Uh, Reggie Jackson, to uh, I know Bucky Dent, and I'm leaving out his middle name that starts with an F, yes. according to your um, Local your custom, audience. local custom. Yes, indeed, I'm aware of that. I married into a, a, dar- a deep, deep, deep uh, Boston sports family. I mean, they are, they are, I'm the black sheep, uh, of that family. Um, so I understand what this means. Fenway Park being lit up, um, and the Dodgers coming in. It's just going to be a special night in Fenway, I'm sure. Plus, I know you have a tough time on a daily basis because the Rich Eisen show on Audience Network's producer as well, Chris Brockman, a buddy of mine, is also. <laughs> Is also an insufferable mass hole. And the T-shirt's yeah. on his desk. I have actually sent him, Rich, so I apologize no for I, I, I apologize for bringing the oily torches to the house fire. <laughs> it's all good, man. It's all good. Like I said, I've married into the family. Um, I, I, you know, I, I know, um, and it's funny, my nephew, my, well, one of them, uh, my, uh, my nephew, Jack, and then there's Sam Schuster as well, of the Schuster family and the Cart family up in New England. Um, at any rate, Jack, the reason why I just bring up Jack in particular is he was born in January of 2002. So he was sitting on my brother-in-law's lap as one of Michigan's finest of all time, uh, took, took uh, matriculated the ball down the field against the Rams uh, in the Superdome. And I, I, I keep telling him that he, he might have been the guy, his birth turned the tide for the entire sports town. I mean, like I, I keep telling him all the time, you realize that there used to be metal benches in Foxborough and the team was terrible and that 
Uh, the Red Sox hadn't won since they traded away Babe Ruth <laughs> and, you know, on and on and on. And it's just been an incredible 20-year run <clears throat> coming up on 20 years now uh, for Boston sports. Joined by Rich Eisen of the NFL Network on the Cover 2 podcast with Banks and Stevens. Rich is going to – big week for you, Rich. You're going to be the play-by-play guy for the Eagles-Jaguars game Sunday, yeah. 9.30 a.m. Eastern in London on the NFL Network, the game I'm calling the Underachievement Bowl. We have two, three, yeah. and four teams that w- both went to the Final Four, obviously, last season. Uh, you're going to be making the call – I want to get this right – with Kurt Warner, Steve Mariucci, Michael Irvin, and then uh, yeah. Pete – Peter Schrager and Melissa Stark, I imagine, will be your sideline reporters. Yeah, there's a lot of voices, um, but we're gonna we're gonna do our best to fit everyone in and make uh, a great broadcast. I'm I'm particularly fired up. Um, I've never called a football game uh, before. I mean, I, I called a Senior Bowl once about 12, 13 years ago for the network. I don't even remember when. Uh, I just remember Lane Kiffin was the coach. So look, you just you can do the math. He was. <laughs> So pissed at the Raiders, he wouldn't. He refused to wear their logo. On uh, he just wore a regular, nondescript black tracksuit on the sideline. It was great. Sounds Very like it was just before the overhead projector. Uh, Very functional. Out. Oh yeah, it was right around then. And yeah. so I, I guess for the only reason I'm telling you, I'm just giving you the, uh, I guess the the timestamp of how long it's been or. Since I've called my only other football game. Well, you have a great game. Uh, it's I'm not too. To it's not two winning teams as as you were hoping and as the NFL expected, um, keeping that streak alive. But what a what a fascinating game in that there's desperation on both sides, um, and obviously both sides lost games at home on Sunday that they absolutely did not expect to. With the post game situation, first Jacksonville. What is your, I guess, um, your best guess synopsis of what has happened to a team that after the week two win over the, these New England Patriots looked like they really had arrived um, as an elite defense and as a perennial playoff team, and it has not uh, gone well since. Well, um, what they have is lost their hammer on offense. You know, I mean, Leonard Fournette has played. Probably, I think, an aggregate of three quarters. And as you know, we're entering week eight. And uh, <clears throat> last year, without Fournette, the team did win more than it lost. Um, but what they did still have was some form of an identity already established that they were able to work off of. And I'm uh, honestly, I'm just spitballing on that because. Uh, that's the only major difference between last year and this year is they don't have somebody to take 20 to 25 consistent carries and take any load off of Blake Bortles' plate. And that's huge, one would think. Certainly if Bortles is points challenged or efficiently challenged quarterback, so, as you point out, you know, they're three and four. They were three and one. So they're coming in on a three game losing. I mean, they were two and one. So they've lost four out of five. Right. Um, and so they've lost three in a row. They've lost, uh, yeah, that's correct. They're, they've lost four out of five. Don't worry, I'll get my facts straight before calling the game. <laughs> and, and, and they are, I would say, in a hangover, just like the Eagles. You, you call it an underachievement ball, I'll call it a hangover ball. That might be a different spin to it. But th- these are two teams that 
that got very far last year, one obviously won it all. Um, and the Jaguars are proof positive that you need to win while the window of opportunity is open in a year-to-year league. And uh, so I would give you the answer of Fournette. You know, that's why they traded for Carlos Hyde, who we're going to see on Sunday. And we'll see if that could be a difference maker. Right. They can hammer somebody and create downs and distances that keep them on schedule for Bortles and keep them consistent uh, in an offense that uh, so far has been begging for it. Rich Eisen with us on the Cover 2 podcast. Rich, flipping over to the Eagles very quickly. Uh, Doug Peterson, the head coach, I think I know what he was trying to say in saying that the pressure is now off, but it did not convey well. First of all, he coaches in Philadelphia. The pressure is never off. Second, when you're the defending Super Bowl champions, the target's on your back until you're not the defending Super Bowl champions. What do you think he was attempting to tell his team that is clearly struggling with four losses more than they had all of last season already? Um, by saying that the pressure's off now that they lost that close home game to Carolina? Well, I think what that what he was trying to do is return to the days of, of the um, underdog status that they wore like a monster chip on their shoulder that led to them wearing actual dog masks last year. Right. Where they, did, they performed so well when the mantra was nobody believes in us and i think he's trying to return to that mindset because they clearly have not succeeded uh as one of those super bowl teams that comes out dominant the next year puffs its chest out says come at us because we're just as good as we were last year if not better doesn't really work that way, does it, Rich? Does it work that way? It doesn't really work that way usually. There are some teams that have come back completely dominant after their Super Bowl year and would give you the impression that this is going to be some form of a dynastic team. The Seahawks, who the, the Patriots uh, beat with the Malcolm Butler play, makes me just give you one example i i was talking uh, more it doesn't really work that way that you could climb back into the underdog role because that's no 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 i know I, I i hear you uh now i know what you mean but you can't blame them for trying no because clearly they're not succeeding they're not succeeding under uh any sort of mindset that they are the defending super bowl champs and are ready for that target that's on their back to be hit on a weekly basis they clearly are not functioning well under that construct, and he's trying to remove that from the equation, maybe trying to also turn back the clock to last January when they were all like, yeah, nobody believes in us, we'll just keep beating your ass, and then host Lombardi. And they do it, but one thing he did say too is that he's right, they do have a lot of games left. They have, uh, coming up this weekend, nine more games, the first of nine more games, two of which are against the Washington Redskins. And uh, two of them are against the uh, the Cowboys. So let's see what can happen. You win your division, anything can happen. And Wentz is clearly improving. He's getting better. The offensive line needs to tighten the bolts a little bit. Um, and they need a little bit more consistency from the running game. I am interested to see what they do next week for the trade deadline. They were supposedly in on Amari Cooper. Uh, I heard that they were in on Josh Gordon right to the very end. 
Um, and <clears throat> maybe, just maybe, LaShawn McCoy or Le'Veon Bell is somebody that shows up in their backfield. And like I said, you know, it's a year-to-year league, and you have to figure out what you need to win this year. And maybe they, with Howie Roseman, figure something out. Depends on what happens Sunday. Yeah, also... The Eagles have been banged up, like you said, along the offensive line, Rich, and they're down Jay Ajayi and LeGarrette Blunt moved on, so now we're talking about Smallwood and Clement and maybe the ghost of Sproles trying to carry the running load, which is pretty difficult for them. You bring up the possibility of the Eagles trying to bring in someone via trade. Uh, Patrick Peterson's name has swirled around with a couple of teams attached. I could see him definitely making a difference in the sometimes beleaguered Eagles secondary uh, how about that Cooper trade, though, in general? People around here, of course, being in New England, and we tape this for Patriots.com, having a laugh because Pats get Gordon for a fifth. He's looking good. And Dallas gave up a first for Amari Cooper. That seems like a lot of shoreline real estate to give up for somebody who was in doubt in Oakland. Well, yeah, which Amari Cooper are they getting, the 2016 version or, or the last two years? I don't know. But the one thing that I think everyone can agree on is it wasn't worth the first-round pick to find out. Yeah. You know, so, um, you know, again, we can criticize trades when they happen, that you've given up too much, and then we see what the results are, and we have to recalibrate. So I, I, I will, as somebody who's going to be calling a game on Sunday and have standing next to me, the absolute personification of you never know in the NFL and Kurt Warner, and as I mentioned, you know, my nephew being born in 2002, Tom Brady in New England is the godsend that nobody saw coming when Mo Lewis blew up through Bledsoe's innards. So I will never say never in the NFL. Uh, so I know. That, that, said, that said, it would have to be a remarkable, a remarkable nine-game stretch to and put Dallas deep into the playoffs with whatever offense might be reimagined around Amari Cooper for this trade to be worth the first-round selection in a draft next year that any draft expert will tell you is chock full of first-round wide receivers. It really boggles the mind that they would use a first-round selection on Amari Cooper. But uh, in Oakland, for sure... The calls are coming from within the house for Derek Carr. You know, I said it on my show a few weeks ago when after the Khalil Mack trade had just happened. And it's clearly built now. And that the ultimate awkward moment for a guy who hired a coach on a 10-year contract with $90 million left to pay him is going to be when the coach knocks on the door and says, that quarterback that you paid 90-some-odd million dollars for and whose salary cap eating contract caused us to not be able to afford Khalil Mack and trade him, we got to get rid of him too. Hmm. Yeah. And I think that's only a matter of time. Wow. Uh, we're speaking with Rich Eisen from the NFL Network, who's calling Eagles Jags from Her Majesty's Royal Football Stadium on Sunday. Right. Rich, if you've never experienced an NFL game in London, I went for Pat's Rams a couple of years ago. It is awesome it is such an energetic experience and it puts a unique spin and perspective on the entire game it's the most fun i think i've ever had live and i i hope you can enjoy it as much from the booth calling the game as a lot of the fans down there who have chargers hats dolphins jerseys and patriots sweatpants have have you been to one Um, Rich? (laughs) have you been to one 
Don't have not. It's, oh, you'll love it. I've been uh, kind of after NFL Network and NFL management for years. You know, when the NFL Network turns 15 uh, a week from Sunday. And uh, for years, it took us a very long time to be a fully distributed network. Almost more than half of our existence was spent in some form of a uh, protracted cable battle with Time Warner and uh, Comcast or James Dolan's Cablevision. Um, and in those years where we were struggling for full distribution on the cable dial, we were fully distributed in London through something called the North American Sports Network. So for years, we were more visible as a network <laughs> in London than we were in New York City. Wow. So we've got, we've got a lot of people that we've been broadcasting to for a long time. So I was wanting to do an NFL game day morning from it. Just like, say, you know, game, college game day does it on a campus. Right. You know, from what I've, you know, from what I've been told, the, the atmosphere is amazing. So I can't wait to do it. You know, and, and in terms of being able to enjoy it, you know, we, we already rehearsed a game week four. Rams Vikings, the Thursday night game that Fox did, they set up a makeshift booth in the Coliseum for us. And I had some of the most fun I've ever had doing anything. I mean, it's, it's, it's something I've been looking forward to doing in my career for a very long time. Never thought I'd have the opportunity, and I'm glad that I do. The chants and cheers are incredible, Rich. You're going to have so much fun. Last question, because I know we, uh, you're making way to the, do the show. Um, I married into okay. a fa- I married into a family. All my in-laws are Michigan people. Go blue. What's okay. led to the What's led to the Michigan turnaround? Is it Jess Patterson, or are we finally now seeing Harbaugh full, fulfill the destiny and put his team together? Oh, I don't know. I mean, there's still lots more football to be played here. I mean, you know, there's a bye week, then there's Penn State coming in. That's another piece of family business from last year that needs to be settled. A um, couple of games against Indiana and Rutgers. And then uh, the big game against Ohio State. And um, based on what we saw this past last weekend, Michigan should absolutely be able to hang with Ohio State. And we'll see what happens, you know. Um, and after that comes some ridiculous, meaningless champ- conference championship game <laughs> that only serves to bloody up whatever conference's best chance to win a national title is or derail their hopes uh, just all for the sake of money. And then uh, who knows after that? And if Michigan gets to the Big Ten championship game and or beyond, then we could start talking about a corner potentially being turned. But clearly what Harbaugh has done there is he's built up uh, uh, a team uh, of his own and a mindset of his own. And just like professional football, it is a quarterback-driven sport. And they've got a kid in Shea Patterson that is the first guy that Michigan has had, I can't even remember, I mean, I'm going back, who, who could do both, who could run and pass uh, with efficiency and a mentality of ball protection. After fumbling against Notre Dame at the end of that game, he's done a much better job of protecting the football, much better job. And the offensive line has improved. And the wide receiver bunch may be the most talented wide receiver bunch I've seen at Michigan. And the defense is lights out, what they did this past week against Michigan State, they didn't even have their arguably best player 
uh, kid on the defensive line named Rashawn Gary, who I will be seeing in a combine very soon. So put that all together, and maybe they have a magical season in them, and, man, that would just be awesome. All right, Rich Eisen of the NFL Network has been our guest on the Cover 2 podcast. And, again, Rich is going to be on the play-by-play for the NFL Network this Sunday in London at Wembley. Eagles, Jaguars, along with Kurt Warner, Steve Mariucci, Michael Irvin, Peter Schrager, and Melissa Stark. Um, nice to have that exclusive window for the NFL Network, a 930 um, yes. football, with us. football at Wimbledon, as it were. Um, look, I hope you're practicing uh, Yannick Ngakwe into the mirror every morning three times. Right. Yep. Good, good. That's going to be... Yep. My, uh, kids are, my, my, my kids are wondering what's happened to Dad. <laughs> they're they're late. I have no idea. Rich, no idea. thanks so much for the time. Also, check out the Rich Eisen Show on radio, WFC in Boston, 15, 10 a.m. Love, love your work, Rich. Thanks so much for taking time for the guys at the Cover 2 podcast. Wish I could be there for that one, Don. I'm telling you, if you've never taken in an NFL game London style, Wembley's a great stadium. 90,000 people can go in there. It's really the spirit. The fans appreciate it so much. It's a unique experience for them and for you because you – they're used to soccer and they get American football and they treat it like a soccer match and you're going for American football and you hear chants and cheers and songs all day long while drinking Carlsberg pints like it's a great football ma- like a footy match it's and I get the so feeling, spirited I mean now the crowd seems to know the game it's, they're not cheering at the wrong remember they used to yep. cheer at the punts the they used oh, they to no cheer idea. at the punts because right. it was hey, like, hey, hey there's, oh, a, yeah. there's a long kick uh, so it, yeah it's it's fun to hear Rich excited about it I mean he's been it, you know, in the NFL, covering the NFL on some level, at the top level for a long time. Mm-hmm. And he's kind of approaching this as uh, a slash fan, you know, childlike wonder at getting to do this game and call an NFL game. I think it's pretty cool. Yeah. And I think it's a pretty interesting game. Uh, yeah, that, it's, it should be great. And I think it's going to kick off what looks to be a pretty, pretty good week eight slate. I know uh, recent weeks it's been. A uh, bit of a slog, the one or two that stand out. I think we actually got a uh, a decent run of football on Sunday. We got uh, four more teams on their bye, so that that means we're down to 14 games rather than 16. Who do you like uh, game-wise? Uh, we've talked about Eagles-Jags. Mm-hmm. We've talked about Saints-Vikings, that great rematch of the NFC Divisional Round game that yep. got decided with a miraculous play. Uh, Ravens-Panthers has a, a reasonable degree of watchability because yeah. both teams... Both teams seem to be – they're actually kind of almost mirror images They really of each are. Other. You're known for your defense. You've got quarterback inconsistency. You can score some weeks. Other weeks, maybe not so much. So I think that will be an incredibly physical game. Well, the Ravens really need it now. Uh, that mm-hmm. loss hurt them, that home loss. Yeah, Because they're 4-3. They're and three. They started 3-1. and one. I still think they win this division, the I, AFC North. Steel, I think the Steel, I think the st- bad news for everybody, the Steelers yeah. got just the kind of win they, they needed right before the bye, and even only a 3-2-1. and one. The Steelers have a countdown for a record right now. And they have the Browns this week. So we mm-hmm. have our first divisional rematch of the season. I think the Browns-Steelers opened in week yep. one in Cleveland, um, played a, a tie, as yep. I recall. Mm-hmm. So Steelers-Browns, that's not good. You know, the Browns are already showing some Brownsian – Signs yeah. now. Hugh Jackson talking about he wants to help out on the play calling. That puts, well, how nice of that you, put Hugh. Todd Haley in a in a bit of a spot. They've lost a little something the last couple of weeks. They're not that right explosive, you know, might 
push the defense type of offense. Carlos Hyde trade catch you off guard. Listen, yeah. I thought I thought you know I thought and only get like you've got a good running back who's actually playing really good football and has several years of prime ahead of him. Yeah, look to be a really good fit. What what's wrong with having a complement of? Carlos Hyde and Nick Chubb, you take a little you don't put as many miles on the tires of the rookie by making him a feature back. He's a nice change of pace. He's explosive as hell. And now all of a sudden, like, he's great. We're gonna give him more looks. All right, so you got a fifth for a I, starting running back? I get the feeling John Dorsey, the Browns general manager, just keeps an egg timer on his desk and it goes <laughs> off once a week. He has to make a trade. He has to get rid of somebody. I think you could win a playoff game with the players they've traded away so it's, far it's from a, January first to now. It's rather amazing. It's basically their entire draft classes yeah. in the last five years. Unreal. Um, Broncos Chiefs might be interesting as well. Obviously, the Chiefs d totally destroyed Cincinnati, which was funny because that's yep. the game that got flexed into the Sunday mm -hmm. night game so that we were spared 49ers Rams, which in ended up 39 to 10 yep. Rams. So we get 45 to 10. Chiefs over Bengals. Each each incredibly lopsided. Obviously, the game to flex in was one that was discussed. Bears-Patriots would have been the best game because I think that was definitely one of the more exciting games yeah. last Sunday. Uh, Patriots, by the way, if they can put up 38 points or more this week, will be one of the only teams ever to have been able to put up 38 points or more five straight weeks. Actually, wow. they would become the first team in NFL history with 38 points or more. Five straight weeks. That Interesting. Has, that has kind of been their magic number, hasn't it? Yeah, it has. It's funny, and you're not even not even thinking of the Pats as like a fluid offensive juggernaut, right? Well, look, they're scoring in a million different ways. High tower blocks a punt first time he's in on punt. Van Noy gets his first touchdown. Patterson after giving up a touchdown. Patterson giveth. Patterson taketh. Interesting. The Pats are Pats are a show. I'll say that this year so far. The 2018 Pats, yeah. wildly inconsistent. They're but not boring. No, the watchability is pretty high because you you literally never know what you're They're getting. They're not next. winning 23-10 every week in in, mm -hmm. in a yawn fest. That's for sure. No, Gordon and Edelman have made this, but the offense because I mean you uh, can see the effect with those two coming back. I do fear how ugly Monday night could be. Um, look, the Bills are a team. You that can stop there. No, <laughs> knowingly. <laughs> you could have said the Bills are a team. Knowingly. Uh, took a half step back this year. Quarterback in order to have uh, a ceiling room. They draft Josh Allen, but they lose three fifths of their offensive line. Mm -hmm. They they can't accept. They were always a good running team. I think they were one of the top three running teams the last three seasons running. They can't get anything going. Although Ivory did okay in place of uh, an injured Lashawn McCoy. I just they're not doing anything well. Their receivers are complete. They have all number. What four receivers mm -hmm. playing? Num trying to play number one receiver, uh, Zay Jones, uh, Benjamin. They just don't have much going for themselves right Derek now. Derek Anderson and Chris Ivory. Man, that's going to keep Brian Flores yeah. and Bill Belichick up all week. Yeah, but you I can't know. run Not, Nathan no. Peterman out there. You no. can't do Gosh, it because no. his his own locker room, Sean McDermott's locker room, was were revolt. They, they'd kill him. Yeah, you can't do it. No. Uh, now coming to now back to this Sunday though. Uh, if you, depending on how you treat your Sunday, if you do like I did, which is, you know, talking about enjoying Eagles Jags and then maybe taking, you know, following along on the phone all day and then getting ready for a Sunday night and Monday, that's cool. But if you sit down and make your way to your sports bar or the sofa for four o'clock, then eight o'clock, you're in for a treat because to be able to go Packers Rams and then into Saints Vikings. Yeah. That's pretty good. Is Saints-Vikings the Sunday night game? I believe that is actually the Sunday night. Saints-Vikings is the is the sniff. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, so to yeah, go from good. so your primetime Fox game Packers Rams. Uh I I'd like to I think the Rams will win because I think their offense is every bit as good as the Packers and the Packers do not have anything resembling a Rams D. 
And I'm calling the Saints to pull off the upset. Yeah, I think I will too. Yeah. Is Packers Rams in the Coliseum? It is in the uh, open air heat box. Okay. That's All right. right. Yeah, that the Rams will be favored, but it'll be fun to watch Aaron Rodgers try to match points with that offense. Throwing to whatever three named receiver that he <laughs> is a rookie that's six foot four or taller that they are somehow trotting out on a weekly basis. Interesting week eight. Yeah. Uh, and then we're fun. I mean, we're not technically at the halfway point, but once we get week eight, we're you know, we're in that mid mid range and then the next week and the next two weeks I think we get what six six teams off on a buy so the schedule we goes get more down. into buys and then yep. it's the classic like not till november do you know what kind of football team you have so i think by that point we really should have a more clear idea I and mean, how many divisions are locked up two uh, nfc west west well charges are only a game behind the chiefs yeah that's they're five and two right don't, don't sleep on the, only on the, the bolts west. don't sleep on the carson chargers all right i think it's the only thing we haven't done is our world series picks uh We've been totally wrong, mm-hmm. and we really should pick L.A. because why Why jinx it now? But I'm going to go – I think the Sox are going to win in in six. I think just as in 04, 07, and 13, I think the toughest rounds were earlier. Mm-hmm. I think their real test was getting best past the Yankees and Astros, the 200-win-plus teams. And um, the Dodgers are good. They'll be formidable, but I don't believe they'll, they'll win four before the Sox win four. I like – in six. Dodgers can pitch. Dodgers def- Dodgers have arms they can throw at the Red Sox. But I mean to be able to to put JD Martinez in the outfield when you go there when he had a four home run game there last year so he's familiar hitting in Chavez Ravine and then you put Mookie at second. I'm rooting for Mookie at second. Oh, I think that's going to be fun. I think that's going to be great. I don't know they're going to do it but I'm rooting for Oh, it. he's been taking ground balls for the I know. past couple of days. But Cora's still got to pull that trigger. Game 1 is game 1 is Game one's the most interesting. How does Kershaw pitch in arguably the biggest moment of his career to date in Fenway? Yeah. And then how does Sale respond? I think he pitches well, game one. I don't know. I don't know. I don't think he goes long. I think he's still dealing with a little effect from the shoulder and the stomach. Not the belly, Mm -hmm. navel ring. That was a joke, kids. That was a joke. (laughs) Pretty good one, though. All right, you say socks and six. I go gentleman's sweep, socks and five. Wow. Kev, who you got? Socks and five. Socks and five. Okay, so you both have it ending Sunday night at Chavez Ravine, uh, and I have it coming back to fen- the Fens for game six next Tuesday night. I'm probably rooting because I um, have tickets. I'm That's all right. It's okay. Be there. I want to see the celebration. No Boston. shame in that. But you know what? It's baseball. They could surprise us and lose this round. It would be a little bitter after getting past the Yankees and the Astros, but it could happen. All right, that is a wrap for the Cover 2 podcast for October 23rd, 2018. Our guest, and a great one it was, was uh, Rich Eisen, the NFL Network anchor, and he's going to be calling the Eagles-Jags this Sunday from Wembley at 9.30 a.m. on the NFL Network. Tune in for that. For our producer, Kevin Collins, and my co-host, Nick Stevens, I'm Don Banks. We will talk at you next week. Hopefully we have... uh, a little bit more World Series to discuss at that point. Go Sox! Go Sox! Thank you for downloading the Cover 2 podcast from Patriots.com. Second and goal to go from the two. Toss sweep right for James White. Cuts it under the right arm. Cuts it upfield. Driving forward. It's Diving to the goal line. It's going. A touchdown. It's and a title for the Patriots.
I can't believe it. They have completed the greatest comeback in Super Bowl history. Log on to Patriots.com anytime for more news and more podcasts covering your favorite team and all things NFL.